0: Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God, as well as become a Chair disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Amen. That's a cool little groove. It's fun. Uh, Glad you guys are here. We are in week three of our moving uh, day series. And uh, just to start the sermon, I wanted to just for my own sake, I want to ask a question. How many of us have moved within the last five years? Show of hands. Now, when I say moved, let me clarify. Moved as in like not from like Lewiston to Clarkston or Clarkston or or, like around here, but like a big move. Not that moving is not a big move, but you know what I mean? Like a, a longer move than like an hour away. Anybody? Last five years? Okay, last 10 years, okay, last 20 years. Okay, now how many of you are like, this is where I live and I'm never moving ever? Show of hands, all right, the faithful. All right, Uh, I I counted with my wife the other day that I I think in my lifetime, I've had those big moves about 11 times. So I was born in, in Utah and then I moved from Utah to Maine and then from Maine to Guam and then pretty much SoCal, a lot of different times. And then I got married and then, you know, you move in with your wife. So we moved there and then we moved again and I think we moved again. And then we moved back to Utah, which is why I say I'm from Utah when you guys ask me. And then we moved here to Lewiston. So moving day reminds me of all those times that I packed up my stuff, all of my belongings in those early mornings. And, and you know, I woke up and had like coffee and donuts, which is the official moving food, right? So if somebody invites you, to uh, move, if they're like, hey, can you come over and help me move? And you show up and there's not coffee and donuts, you have my permission to just be like, I'm out. And leave, and they will understand. You can be like, I went to church this one day and I heard from the voice of the Lord that says, I can't help you move. No, I'm just kidding, don't say that. anyway, <laughs> Um, but I think about that all those times when like the, the loading van was was pulled in my dad normally brought it in and then we had to load up all our stuff and then we said goodbye to our, our friends and and you know my, my brother lived in Utah so I said goodbye to him and and even last time we moved we said goodbye to our house like we were like tell our kids you know kids say well, say goodbye to the house but what it is is this moving away like you're you're saying goodbye to this former life and then your life is now moving in this entirely different direction okay and so that's why we chose moving day um, as as a theme for the, the first part of the book of Acts, because that's kind of what this narrative is. It's, it's very much like moving. Like in the early church, we were moved um, by the Holy Spirit. Like their their direction, their mindset, their entire life was set in a completely different di- uh, direction. And also that they could be witnesses of the power and the majesty of God in this movement in the church, okay? It's this, this new age of the believer now being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about it, The book of Acts is really a a showcase for the Holy Spirit, right? He's he's the main character. You know, we might want to focus on Peter and all the cool things that he does or Paul and all the cool things that they do or even the story that we're going to study today about people being able to speak in tongues and, and, you know, that's all great. God is moving, but make no mistake, the focus should be the Holy Spirit moving, okay? So as we study God's word today and talk about this early church and its moving, perhaps, uh, you know, as, as we're going through this, it's going to be sort of a moving day of sorts for you as well. Like as, as God is hopefully stirring in your hearts as he stirred in my hearts, maybe he is prepping you for a move to come, whether that's physically or spiritually or mentally or something like that. And maybe that scares you a little bit. You know, it scares me too. Like I'm, I'm very comfortable where I live, I'm very comfortable here. I, I think I'm getting a groove, I'm getting a good rhythm with, with my wife here um, and, and with my job here, right, James? Yeah, I'm good, okay. And then, but also like with my kids, like I think I'm getting a groove despite what Wesley wants to tell you. And, and so this idea of the Holy Spirit moving in my life just kind of scares me a little bit and it might scare you a little bit. So let's, let's do this. Let's pray together as a church body. Let's pray for courage and strength to listen, and then to move wherever God leads us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, you are moving. Your spirit um, is is among us and in us as believers, and we thank you for that. Um, God, sometimes you are going to move us in ways that we don't want you to. And so God, help us to let go. Help us to listen and to be ready to answer your call. God, to pack up that moving van wherever you lead us, to trust that you know what's better for us than we do. God, open our eyes and ears to what you have to say this morning. And I pray this every time I'm up here and, and have the, the the joy and the privilege to preach your word. God, may my words not be my own. If If it is, just silence me right now because they don't need to hear from me, they need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And so God, move in this place, stir our hearts, open our eyes and ears. And God, if I say something that is wrong or dumb, just erase it out of people's minds because we want you uh, to be glorified. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. Now I have a lot of ground to cover. Um, You're going to definitely want to preach or preach. Don't preach. Let me start that over. See, Holy Spirit, strike it from their minds. Okay. (laughs) You're going to want to listen to midpoint Uh, because I'm not going to be able to touch upon everything. And so if you have questions or whatever, um, send those in and and then we'll we'll get into that discussion later on, okay? But we're going to cover a lot of ground. Even though it's only 13 verses, it's a lot of ground. So uh, we're going to be studying Acts chapter 2. And before we can dive into today's passage, we need to do a little bit of of catch-up because we need to remember where we are in Luke's narrative, okay? This is book 2, of Luke's narrative from his gospel and then here. And, and we need to read this story as if we are Theophilus. Like remember, we're in 2023. And so we kind of know where the story goes. Like we've read beyond the book of Acts, hopefully. And we, so we kind of know where this is going, but that would have not been the case for the original readers, okay? Like Theophilus or the first century reader. And so we're going to do this, have this mindset by just drawing back to what the gospel of Luke was all about, okay? So we're gonna turn to Luke chapter one. And we're just gonna read it straight through, okay? I'm totally kidding. We're not gonna, thank you, James. <laughs> it took us like two, th- two, three years to get through that? Yeah, it's not, we're not gonna do that. Luckily in Acts chapter one, okay, uh, um, Luke kind of gives us a, a broad overview of his gospel, okay? So Acts chapter one says, in the first book, OCC, says, O Theophilus, but we're Theophilus, remember? I have dealt with all, that Jesus began to do and to teach. So he says that the gospel of Luke was primarily focused on, on dealing with what Jesus began to do and teach, okay? And we get that. We studied the book of Luke a few months back, and so the teachings and the doings of Jesus should be fresh on our mind. And then if we read a little further in Acts one, in verses four and five, this is where Jesus tells his disciples, okay, uh, it's not on your screen, but this is the, the, the preface. You know, don't leave town, because I have big plans for you. John baptized you in water, which again is that, that imagery of being covered and engulfed and surrounded in water. And that was the, the signal of the start of their ministry, their commitment and their devotion to God. But you're gonna be baptized now with the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that's surrounding you, that's engulfing you, okay? And it's gonna usher in this new epoch of ministry. And this covering by God will be for always, right? because when we get baptized we don't get baptized like every year it's not a, a renewal thing it's it's a once a year once a year once a time thing right we just get baptized once and that's where we are okay and so Jesus says all of that he says this is going to happen soon you're going to be baptized by the holy spirit soon and they're like okay great awesome that's so cool we're going to wait for it so are you going to restore Israel now like is, is this the time now that you're going to take over and everything's going to be great and Jesus replies in verse 8 in Acts 1 no right? And then he reiterates the same point. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, okay? It's like that verse in John 16:7 It should be on the screen behind me, <coughs> excuse me, where Jesus says, it is good that I leave you because now then the advocate can come. The paracletos is going to rest on you. The great helper is going to be with you forever. And so this is the context that we're going to bring into Acts chapter 2, okay? Now I'm going to make pick stops along the way, um, because there's some really cool things, but we're just gonna get into it. Acts chapter two, verse one. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, now, now I have to admit, when I hear Pentecost, my mind kind of goes on autopilot and I start going, oh yeah, the, uh, that's, that's the, the, the you know, flaming tire, uh, flaming, tire fam- flaming tongues of fire resting on people and then they start speaking in tongues, right? That's where I go. But that's not how Theophilus would have read it. Okay, he would have read it as, okay, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, what is Pentecost? Oh yeah, Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. That's the Feast of the First Fruits. That's the annual one-day harvest, which is always held on the seventh week after Passover or the 50th day. That's where we get the the name Pentecost from the the Greek Pentecoste, uh, in grateful recognition of a completed harvest. Okay, That's that's what he would have thought. But then he would have also thought, okay, 50, 50. Well, there's a lot of significance to the number 50 in the Old Testament. Like the maintaining of the tabernacle was done by only men under 50. Okay, there were, uh, the tabernacle had uh, 50 loops and 50 clasps. The east and west side of the tabernacle's court was said to be 50 cubits wide. And in Leviticus 25, it talks about this year of jubilee. This is when all the debts are settled, inheritances are returned, people are able to go back and, and their, their debts are kind of wiped clear and they, they have freedom and they can now return home, okay? So this number 50 had a really um, a, a cool connotation of deliverance and freedom. Now I'm not naive that, that you know in today's day and age when you go, oh, look at the number 50, like it sounds kind of like a conspiracy theory a little bit, you know? Like I hear that and it's like, oh man, like the number 50, you got to look at this and you see that guy that's got all the you know, stuff on the walls and he's like, and this connects to this. And that's kind of what I, I kind of think. Um, and, and it might sound a little superstitious or just a little stitious, but I want to push through that because Theophilus would have read this differently. Hearing Pentecost, he would have been like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm curious now, what, what is God going to do? Because last time, right, Jesus kind of revamped all of Passover, like, remember when we talked about that? Like, like, he was like, no, the bread means this and the wine means this. And, and it was like, oh man, he, so he blew our minds with Passover. What's he gonna do now with Pentecost? And so so Theophilus is like, okay, I, I, w- w- what happens? Like, what's next? And so the verse one continues, and they were all gathered in one place. So who is they all? They all refers to the existing church up to this point. Okay, the, the, the people that were listed in Acts chapter one, the newly formed 12 uh, apostles, the men, the women, uh, Mary, Jesus' brothers, all in all, probably around 120 people is what they're talking about. Okay, and where is this place? They were gathered together in one place. Where is that place? Now, this one's a little bit more obscure. I think I have the answer. I could be wrong. God might silence my microphone again. Um, but I, I don't think I'm wrong because some would say that they're in the upper room because that's where we last left our um, apostles. But it seems to me that at least the end of Acts chapter 1. Um, there, there's time in between the end of Acts 1 and the beginning of Acts 2, okay? Um, and two, you can't really fit 120 people in an upper room comfortably, so it doesn't really make sense. There's a third reason that I have that I'm going to get to later. Um, but So the way I would answer is, is where are they? Where is this place uh, taking place? Uh, I would go to the end of chapter 24 of Luke, Luke's gospel, chapter 24, And and this is where uh, after Jesus ascends into heaven, Luke writes this, verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Verse 53, and were continually in the temple blessing God. Okay, so it would seem that they are like avid churchgoers at this point in the temple. They're praising and blessing and worshiping God, and they're just waiting for him to show up. Okay, so that's where I think they are. I think they're in the temple. Now, let's review the timeline up to this point. Okay. After Jesus's resurrection, it says that Jesus was with them for 40 days. Okay. And then he left, that is he ascended to heaven. Remember James's balloon. Okay. He let it go. Um, and so they're waiting on God because it's the 50th day waiting on God for 10 days, right? 50 minus 40 is 10. So they don't quite know what they're looking for yet. Um, they're, they're kind of like, well, I I guess we'll know when we see it. So let's just go to church. Let's go to temple, worship God, and let's wait. And it's at this point in, in, the, in studying for this message that God kind of put it on my heart. And I was like, oh, I'm getting convicted. And that's, that's never fun when you're preaching and God's like, hey, you need to do better. But, but it, was, it was this point of, of how good am I at waiting on God? Because okay, I look at these disciples and, and they're in the temple. They're waiting these 10 days. They're waiting for this miraculous sign. They just saw Jesus ascended and they're waiting. And how are they waiting? Well, they're waiting with with worshipful hearts, praying, fellowshipping. They're eager for God to to, to move. And that's really convicting because that doesn't sound like me at all. Like if I'm honest, which I should be, and and I'm trying to be, I'm more like, God, I need you to move now. Like I want that thing that I've been praying for to happen now. I don't want to wait. Like, does that describe anybody else? You don't need to raise your hand. But I am so impatient. You know, when James comes up here and, and he, he preaches, and, you know, we need to rest and trust in God. I'm like, amen. And he's like, you know, you need to wait on the Lord. I'm like, amen. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna go do it myself. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna go make it happen. God can join up with me when he wants, but I'm gonna go make it happen. But that's not the prescription that we see in scripture. And in fact, there are several examples of people who have done things on their own timeline and kind of screwed things up. One of those would be like Abraham and Sarah, that that comes to mind. Like they were impatient, they wanted a kid, and God's like, wait. And they're like, no, we want a kid. And he's like, wait. And they're like, we're gonna do it on our own. And so because of that, even up until this point in history, the nation of Israel is surrounded by turmoil, right? The Middle East is just a really hard place to be. And so sometimes the lesson is we, we just need to rest and be patient. You know, all of my worrying and all of my stress, it doesn't make God move faster. It doesn't help me feel better. And so in your notes, I think the lesson is we need to remember that God's timing is perfect. Okay, God's timing is perfect. And he has a reason for his sometimes difficult timing. We'll see that there was a reason that they had to wait those 10 days. God was putting the puzzle pieces together. And the same goes with us. God is moving. We just have to wait a second or two until that moving van shows up, right? Okay, so going back. 50 days, our ears are perked up. People are worshiping while they're waiting. And so we have this small church in the temple just continually meeting together, waiting for for God to show up. Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And so here they are, they're waiting for that sign. We don't don't know what it is. We're primed and ready. And all of a sudden, boom, right? God kicks open the doors and this massive wind comes storming into the room and he fills the entire space. And these 120 people are blown away. Yes, pun intended. And they're surrounded by this event that's taking place. But it's interesting to point out how God presents himself, right? It says, like a mighty rushing wind. Okay, well, we'll think about it, O Theophilus, OCC. Where have we read up to this point in the Old Testament that God has represented himself as a wind or as the wind? Well, if we think back to Genesis, well, the floodwaters receded, and it says it did so because God made a wind blow over the earth. God is seen in the Exodus story, right? The locusts, for instance, they come in with the wind, and then thankfully they leave with the wind. But also the, the parting of the Red Seas When the Israelites walked around on dry ground, that was done with the wind. There's that that saying in the Bible of of the chaff is separated from the wheat through the wind. I said that right? Yeah, I think I said that right. Uh, God uh, feeds his people in the wilderness by bringing quail with the wind. Okay? Uh, God answers Job in a whirlwind. So God commands the wind. He is in the wind. Wind is his power. But wind also refers to in the Old Testament as breath. You know, like we have, uh, when we breathe, we're using our own wind. And when that wind goes out, that, that it's said that we pass away. So breath, this wind, is also life. Okay, now here's a fun fact. Uh, the word in the Old Testament that's translated wind comes from the Hebrew word ruach. And, and it's spelled that way um, because you have to engage your breath in order to say it. Like try it, Ruach. There you go. Yeah, you have to hach when you say it, right? And it means either wind or breath or spirit, okay? And we first see this word in Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the ruach, I didn't do that right, the ruach of God was covering over the face of the waters. Now, if you listen to Midpoint, you heard Pastor James Talk about David when he, he talks in Psalm 51, 11, where, where David says, please don't let um, the spirit of God leave him. Like God don't take his Holy Spirit from him. And the words he uses is Ruach Hakadesh. And then in Genesis 41, they say the spirit of God, it's Ruach Elohim. And so, O Theophilus, OCC, the wind is, we see that it's the power of God, it's the spirit of God, it's the breath of God, and even the will of God. And so all of this to say, when, when, when we as Theophilus are reading this verse and we see that God shows up as this mighty wind, we're like, Oh man, it's coming. Right? Verse three and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so out of their astonishment wonder, they start looking around and they see something that looks like tongues of fire divided among them. Now it says divided tongues, And so we might be tempted to think of like lizards and like the forked tongues and stuff like that. That's not really what divided means. I don't don't think that's what Luke was trying to say. What he's more saying is like, it's divided among the people. Like it's it's equally distributed among the the believers there. Okay, it's resting on each one of them equally. It's divided among them. Okay, now stop and think again. Just like we did with the wind, where have we seen God now being represented as fire? Okay, well, there's a lot of places. There's the burning bush. The pillar of fire. God came down on Mount Sinai as fire. God was fire in the tabernacle at night, guiding Israel through the wilderness. God accepts offerings as this engulfing fire. Elijah called on the Lord and the Lord came down in fire and and lapped up all the water and, and burned everything on the altar. Not to mention that Hebrews literally says our God is a consuming fire. Man, when God makes promises and he, and he fulfills them, he delivers in spades, right? This is no small happening. This is, this is no like little, can I come in? Hello? Like this is that boom of the Holy Spirit, okay? So Theo, OCC, your ears perked up at Pentecost. You get the wind reference. Now you get the fire reference. And so you should be at the edge of your seat right now, right? Because we're about to see the Spirit move. We're about to witness the beginning of those moving day events in Acts. This sets the course for the rest of the book. And and for us as well, this speaks to us because we now have a promise that we can rely on. Whenever God fulfills his promises, we can look at that and go, see, God fulfills promises. He's not asleep at the wheel. And so as believers, we actually share in this account. And so the spirit breaks down this door, it fills this room, Flaming tongues are resting and a lot of happening going on. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the paracletos is here, right? And he did not disappoint. So this, this is an amazing miracle. And, and we read a little later that these men and women are speaking specific uh, languages. Like they didn't learn these languages beforehand None of them were bilingual. And so as Theophilus, as we're reading this, let's put ourselves in this story. Okay, just all of a sudden, middle of prayer time, where, you know, we're, we're praising God or having fellowship and then boom, right, wind. And then like all of a sudden fire. And then you, you look around and the person on your left is speaking Egyptian. And the person on your right is speaking Arabic or some other language. And then you start speaking something, right? And so you're just like, what is going on, okay? And you're, you're talking and you're worshiping God in this brand new language that you've never, ever learned. You don't know, but you are speaking it. Like, this is mind blowing, right? This, this should, is nothing short of just like, man, this is, this is crazy. Now we're gonna focus on the surrounding crowds being amazed in a minute. But put yourself in that, if, if that was you, if you were part of that 120 crowd, wouldn't you be amazed? Like this is, like I said, the exact definition of awesome. Like we use that word a lot and we're like, man, this pizza is awesome, right? But no, this is awesome, okay? I think of the the Jim Gaffigan joke. I I said this the first service, nobody laughed, so I'm thinking you guys are going to do better. But (laughs) I have confidence in you. So like Jim Gaffigan talks about how um, escalators, people will get on escalators and they just stand there and they're like, okay, I'm on an escalator. He goes, but if we just stopped and thought about it, we'd be like, I'm going downstairs without moving my legs. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> Much better response. Good job, guys. Thank you. <laughs> so this had to be this amazing event, right? It was life-changing. Okay, so I'm going to make a sidebar comment here. Some of us might read this passage, and we see this speaking in tongues, and when we think, you know what? This is where we get the gift of speaking in tongues. But honestly, that's a different discussion altogether. In fact, it's an entirely different book. That's 1 Corinthians. And so I'm going to call time out because this passage is not and should not be equated with the gift of tongues we see in 1 Corinthians. Okay, and the reason I say that is because of the context, the purpose, and the details in Acts are very different. Okay, so if you came here and you were thinking that we're going to talk about cessationist versus continuist, or Pentecostal churches or, or being able to speak in tongues or not being able to speak in tongues, we're not going to talk about that. Okay, I, I don't see that message when I study Acts chapter two. Okay, again, the main character of this story is the Holy Spirit. And, and again, I say that because I have to go back to scripture. What does it say at the end of this verse? It says, "As the Spirit gave them utterance," okay, or another translation says, "As the Spirit enabled them," or "As, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak." Okay, these people are speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, and all of that was for a divine purpose, for a divine appointment, and so they're being moved by the Spirit. This this was a miracle of God, and so. We can get bogged down by this whole tongues thing and what's really happening, but I think there's a more powerful takeaway. Okay, and that's that nothing like this has ever happened before. Okay, remember at the beginning of the sermon, where I said, you know, there's gonna be a time, or when no, I said, when Jesus said, there's gonna be a time when his believers are going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, or they're gonna be baptized by fire. This is that point, right? We're reading about it right now. This was the start of the time that we are currently in, the epoch of time where a believer who puts their faith and trust that God the Father sent God the Son to die for you and I on a cross. And if we believe in God the Son, then God the Spirit will dwell in us. Like that's the stage that we're in right now and that's where we get this from. So that's the big reveal here, that the Holy Spirit has come and he's not messing around. Now, again, I'm gonna be honest, when I read this story, in the past, I've so easily messed this up. Because I know this story well, but, and it's really pretty tragic that it took James to tell me that I was preaching this message to actually get the, the, the truth in this. Like This is an awesome story about God fulfilling his promise. And that should bring us to our knees, should bring me to my knees in, in worship and awe because God is real. God doesn't leave his people alone to fend for themselves that I now have, and you now have, and anybody who believes in Jesus now has this reliable hope in this life. And not only that, but he answered with such this magnificent production. I, I hate to say production, but that's, that's the best word I can explain, right? I'm a worship pastor. I, I try to get all these lights and stuff like that, and it blew this away in spades, along with any other halftime show that anybody has ever put on, put together, right? This is just amazing. excuse me. So how dare I or anyone else read this story and think, oh yeah, Pentecost, gift of tongues, right? We should instead focus on, look at the mighty works of God, the spirit. Look at God move in his people. Isn't God amazing? And so I just want to ask you in the quiet of your own heart, don't raise your hand, but when you read this story, do you focus on tongues or do you focus on the spirit moving? The point, I think, is that God's power should be the focus. And and the fulfillment of this long-awaited promise that any believer is now forever consumed with the Holy Spirit, forever baptized by that holy fire of God. And just like Paul says in Romans 6, that the power that, that raised Christ from the dead the power that that caused these men and women to speak the languages that they had not known, we as believers have that power in us. Okay, back to the narrative, okay? Now remember, we've said this, this is all in God's timing, right? God had a purpose for all of this. God made them wait 10 days for a reason. Here's the reason, verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so, verse 1 through 4 says that at the time that all of this was happening, there just so happened to be devout men from every nation under Israel, okay, who speak all of these different languages from all these parts of, of, of their world. They're just hanging out in Jerusalem. And why are they hanging out in Jerusalem? Well, it's because it's Pentecost, right? That's what they did. But again, what is Pentecost? It's all tied together. Pentecost was a celebration of the harvest, a time to worship God for the first fruits and even remember the year of Jubilee. Do you, do you see that connection? If not, let's, let's go to Matthew nine thirty-seven. These are the words of Jesus. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so, They're now in the season of harvest, right? Jesus said he would make them fishers of men and that they would be laborers who reach out and harvest souls for God's kingdom. So there's that connection. Well, what about the first fruits? Well, the produce of the first fruits, that's these 120 people, right? They're now being moved by the spirit. They're the first fruits of the advent of the Holy Spirit. And then what about the year of Jubilee? Well, that's the time of freedom and forgiveness and rest because people who believe in God and and have that Holy Spirit, well, you now have the assurance of freedom from sin. You have the forgiveness of God and you can now rest in the truth of the resurrected Christ. It's all connected. God totally knew what he was doing. So verse six, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, if you can, if you have your Bibles or in your notes, uh, highlight that the multitude came together. Because I, I want to draw you back to Genesis eleven nine. It says, therefore, its name was called Babel because the, there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And so at the time of Babel, there were these people that thought highly of themselves. And, and it says earlier that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And, and what that kind of means is they were kind of rejecting the name of God on them. And they were like, no, no, no we're going to make a name for ourselves, And so they started to, to build this tower and to stop them from building this tower. God said, I'm going to confuse their language. And so he confused their language out of one language. Many languages came and it scattered the people, right? But look at what he does here at Pentecost, God, in, in, a, in a society where there are multiple languages, okay, he had those multiple language, languages now gather the church and unify the church bodies. And so all of these people were transplants from the many ongoings of, of Israel and conquering and stuff like that. They were kind of dispersed, but they were here for Pentecost and God uses all of those languages to bring them together. It's like the undoing of Babel. God knew what he was doing. Now, I did say that there was a third reason that I think that, that this took place in the temple. Th- this is why. Like, I don't see 120 people speaking in tongues in an upper room having a- as big of, of an impact as it was with the crowd. So take that as you will, but that, that's, that's the other reason I think that this was taking place in the temple. <laughs> Excuse me. And they were amazed, verse seven, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own language? Now, now if you remember, Galileans were known for a harsh uh, dialect. Like they spoke a rude Aramaic or a crude form of Greek. But then all of a sudden, these guys are now speaking effortlessly, effortless, more better than me. <laughs> more, Even said more better. That was... Whew. Uh, they were speaking so articulately and effortlessly, and they didn't just know the words, but the dialect as well, like all the inflections, the pauses and the breaks, the right hucks on the right spots, okay? And, and these are just farmers and fishermen, okay? They're, they're simple folk, generally lower educated, but they're now speaking as if they were born and raised and trained up in this language. And so these guys are amazed and astonished. This isn't just a, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. Well, that's kind of cool. That person speaking this language. Like, have you you ever seen those videos of um, the the, the colorblind people when they finally put on those glasses and they can see color and they're just like, oh, my goodness, right? Or or the young kids when they have a cochlear implant put in and they can now hear uh, their mom or their dad speak to them and, and they hear them say, I love you for the first time. Like that's the type of amazement and, and wonder that these guys are, are picturing here. Because look at verse 9. This is, the apostles are speaking languages from Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. I'm probably butchering these names, but you get the point. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, I don't know if you are great on your geography. I am terrible at a lot of things, but especially geography. So for me to kind of understand what they're talking about here, I had to have a map. So I wanted to show you the map so that you can be as clued in as I am. Here's the map. The, the fire is where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is the white box with the red letters. And all the people that we just listed or that Luke just listed are in red with white letters. And they have gathered to Jerusalem. That's why they all have the arrows. They're gathering to Jerusalem. But where they came from was, um, was all those red spots, okay? Now, it, it seems that Luke has, has made it a point to name all of the major areas to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south of Jerusalem. Okay, God had gathered people from everywhere, also that the Holy Spirit could be witnesses, so that the Jews in the surrounding area would hear this sermon that James is going to talk about next week. Okay, that sermon from Peter. This was God's intended purpose, was to gather all of those nations together and unify them with a message. And what was the message? What were they hearing? Well, at the end of verse 11, it says that this, this church in the temple, this, this, this group of the people of the way, they're proclaiming the mighty works of God, which would have been things like the resurrection, would have been uh, Jesus' miracles, his ascension, his, his faithfulness, the fulfilling of scriptures, Maybe maybe their, their thankfulness and gratitude and just worship of God. Okay? Now, now think about it. These guys, they're travelers from all of these different nations. And they're hearing the message of the Spirit speaking directly to them. And so sometimes, definitely in this instance, God is able to speak directly to his people. So in your notes, God speaks directly to his people. Okay? Now, now think about this again. Not everybody spoke the same language. Like, I grew up in Southern California, and so there's a lot of people who speak Spanish in Southern California, and I don't speak a lick of Spanish. I don't know anything, okay? I've tried, doesn't stick, okay? I took French in high school, still didn't stick. So I speak English, and so when people would um, speak Spanish around me, it would happen occasionally, we'd be in the locker room or wherever, and you would hear people speaking Spanish, and what I would do is I would just kind of check out. Like, my brain would just shut off and go, okay, this is not for me. I can do whatever I need to do. But then somebody would speak in English and my ears would perk up and I'd go, oh, somebody talking to me. Right? Like, oh, I hear something. Where's that coming from? So that's what's going on here. These people, they come to Jerusalem, and and, and sure they interact with a few people and they mostly do their thing. I'm sure they speak that the Koine Greek, which was common. But then all of a sudden, they hear somebody in their own language, in their own dialect. And they go, oh, somebody talking to me. And they're, they're hearing, God is so good. Jesus died and was resurrected and he ascended and we're waiting for him. And, and God, the spirit is here. Praise God. They're hearing all of these things in their own language. And they're going, is that for me? Like, is, that, is that, God, are you speaking to me? And so that's where we're going to end our service. That's going to lead us into James's sermon next week um, about Peter's sermon. And so I want to ask you, is someone talking to you? And I believe so. I believe God uh, is intentional. And I think that you are here for a reason, just like I was asked to preach this message for a reason. Like I think God is moving and he's speaking. In, in the, the book, The Transfigured Church, J.H. Jowett asked this question. When we meet together in worshiping communities, Do we look like men and women who are preparing to move amid the amazing and enriching sanctities of the Almighty? So in other words, do we as a church, when we're praising and worshiping God and and study God's word, are we a people who are ready and willing to move and be moved or are we not? He, He continues. We leave our places of worship and no deep and inexpressible wonder sits upon our faces. We can sing these lilting melodies. And when we go out into the streets, our faces are one with the faces of those who have left the theaters and the music halls. There is nothing about us to suggest that we have been looking at anything stupendous and overwhelming. Far back in my boyhood, I remember an old saint telling me that after some services, he liked to make his way home alone by quiet byways so that the hush of the Almighty might remain on his odd and prostrate soul. And that is the element we are losing. And its loss is one of the measures of our poverty and the primary secret of our inefficient life and service. I don't know about you guys, but that is, that's really convicting. Because for me, I'll be honest, sometimes church is a checkbox. And, and I love God. I love, I love studying the Bible. I, I take notes. I love singing songs and, and praising God. But then at the final amen, it's like, when's lunch? All right, what do I have to do next? So how do I prepare for Monday? And I, I love that, that he said an older saint, meaning a wise disciple maker in his church. Cheer for shout out, okay? I love that he said he would purposely go out of his way to keep the hush of the almighty remaining on his odd and prostrate soul. That's, that's so beautiful. You see, after reading this story in the Pentecost and hearing about the wonderful and joyous news of the Holy Spirit coming upon these people who've repented of their sin and they, they turned to Jesus and, and cried out, save me. And then on, on this day, the Holy Spirit of God rested on them and did these magnificent things. And then hearing that, hey, you as a believer have the same power living in you. There are some that are gonna hear that and they're gonna go, God is speaking in that language, that that in my language. God is speaking to me. Like, I hear you. And they're going to respond just like people in verse 12. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Like, what does this mean? Like, that's a good question, right? You don't ask that question if you don't want to hear the answer. People who ask that want to know more. They're at the edge of their seat. And they've seen the breadcrumbs that God has been laying down. And they're like, all right, where are we going? Okay, they're seeing that moving, moving van come down the driveway. And they're like, God, I'm all boxed up. Let's do this. Where do you want to go? Speak, Lord. I am listening. But there are still others who's going to hear that same message. Right? The message is the same. They're going to hear that same thing in their own language. And they're going to close their eyes and their ears, and they're going to respond like those people did in verse 13. But others mocking said, Ah, they're filled with new wine. Never mind those guys, they're just drunk. They've been hitting the bottle way too early. I choose to not believe it. This is a posture of reluctance, okay? They're, they're refusing to be in awe of the miraculous signs of the Holy Spirit. And so some of us might be tempted to act in a similar way. You know, we, we might feel the spirit moving and just go, eh, it's, it's probably heartburn. That's probably what, it's probably my breakfast. That's what, what it was. Or oh, it's because it was at church and those, those songs were kind of emotional. And so eh, it's, it, it'll, it'll pass, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll go home, I'll watch some TV, it'll be fine. And I'm gonna rationalize God speaking in my life. I'm gonna rationalize it away as just a coincidence And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna miss the boat. Church, may we be a people who respond as a verse 12 people. May we be in so much in awe of God and so filled with the spirit and emboldened by him that we're ready to pack up and move wherever God leads us. For our good and 100% of his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much. for fulfilled promises. Thank you for the joy that we have in the coming of your spirit. And God, it's not easy to move. It's not easy. But God, may we have courage to move. May we have courage to to go where you lead us. And may we listen. May we respond appropriately. And God, as we sing this last song, God, as we speak of the mighty works of your Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that you would be glorified. And God, that you would, that you would be glorified. God, that you would be seen and that we would trust you. God, thank you for this day of Pentecost so long ago and the promises that we see fulfilled. We love you and we praise you. We say this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.